so much to be thankful for. A great exercise to practice uh, is regularly make a list of everything we're thankful for in our life. And don't, don't take that too lightly. Uh, this can bring uh, uh, blessing, uh, or this can bring an awareness to the wonderful life that God has made possible for us. And I'd say start with a blessing of atonement. Amen. Amen. So, now we'll read from uh, Colossians uh, uh, 3, verse 12, and, and some scripture after that, and then we'll go down to 4. But, uh, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on the mercies and kindness and humility, meekness and longsuffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. Uh, but above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And then let's get down to chapter 4 and, and beginning with verse 2 through 6. Uh, continue earnestly in prayer, being diligent in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would be open to uh, open to us would open to us a door for the for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Don't miss an opportunity. Redeem the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. In other words, be ready. Be ready to share. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to meet in your house and to share your word. We thank you, God, for the power of your word, the presence of your word. And, God, we praise you for the grace that you extend to us to enjoy your word and to see you deliver on the promises of your word. God, in this season of Thanksgiving, we want to be sure that we spend an awesome amount of time this year, this time of year, just being thankful to you and expressing that, God, in ways to you through love and in service to others because you see all that goes on and you know, God, all that needs to happen around us. Let us be at work doing your business, and in it all, let us be thankful. In Christ's name, amen. amen. We're going to begin worship this morning with singing, We Have Come Into His House.
worshiping with God be the glory. to come join me as we sing this third verse. Great things he hath taught us, great things he hath done, and great are rejoicing through Jesus the Son, but purer and higher
Well, we have just witnessed the return of the Glenlock Choir after a long time. I raise a hallelujah. Praise the Lord for all that He has done and who He is and for reorganizing our choir uh, to sing. That was beautiful. Thank you so much. Let's turn to Luke chapter 12. In Luke's gospel, we are continuing verse by verse and chapter by chapter. After today's sermon, we will take a break for Advent and there will be some themes. Hope, peace, love, joy. Then we'll be back in Luke unless the Lord changes our our minds uh, after the first of the year. So this morning, I think where we are in our passage really relates well to Thanksgiving. And so what Terry read and shared is a great foundation and application of what we're going to learn this morning in our passage. So in verse 35 of Luke 12, we are continuing this very long teaching section that Jesus is in. And I'll remind you that we've already had a couple of interruptions from people, one in the crowd, one of the disciples... And there's going to be another interruption later in this text. But I'm going to read a pretty long section this morning that I'm going to draw some main principles from. Because I think this is is going to be familiar text to to many of us. But you lose something if you chop up in too many sections a, a long teaching passage like this. So I'm going to cover a lot of ground. So listen well, pay attention as I read through it. That way we can go back to the points and draw from it the the main headings here that that Christ is pointing us to. So last week we were in this to a degree in what we were sharing from the text last week. But verse 35 I'll pick up. Be dressed in readiness. Be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps alight. And be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast. So that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master shall find on the alert. When he comes, truly I say to you that he will gird himself to serve. And have them recline at the table and will come up and wait on them. Look at that imagery. There's a feast. And Christ, the Master, is serving and He's giving. That's a great picture of what we enjoy as believers daily from our Master, isn't it? But it also looks forward to the day when at the marriage supper of the Lamb we will be blessed with even more service and more love and more abundance. So verse 38, whether he comes in the second watch or even in the third and finds them, so blessed are those slaves. And be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. You too be ready, be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour that you do not expect. Peter's interruption, verse 41, Peter says, Lord, are you addressing this Terrible to us or to everyone else as well. Who are you talking to? Are you talking to me? (laughs) Well, it depends, Peter. Look at verse 42. 
Who then is the faithful and sensible steward whom his master will put in charge of his servants? Peter, if you desire to be faithful and sensible as a steward, then I am talking to you. And he will give them, look at verse 42, their rations at the proper time. Blessed. Did y'all, did y'all notice? That's, that's like the fourth or fifth time that he's talked about the blessing that comes to the servants who are ready. Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that slave says in his heart, quote, my master will be a long time coming. And he begins to beat the slaves, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him and in an hour He does not know, and he will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. Verse 46 is a pretty severe passage, isn't it? Sometimes we avoid the severe passages and the severity of of his holiness. Verse 47, that slave who knew his master's will... And did not get ready or act in accord with his will shall receive many lashes. But the one who did not know it and committed deeds worthy of a flogging will receive but few. And from everyone who has much, from everyone who has been given much shall much be required. There's our thought for the week of Thanksgiving. Or one thought. Let me read that again. Everyone who has been given much much shall be required. And let's just cut to the chase. We have been given so much. And to whom they entrusted much of him, they will ask all the more. I have come, verse 49, to cast fire upon the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled, but I have a baptism to undergo. have a baptism to undergo. How distressed I am until it is accomplished. Do you suppose that I came to grant peace on earth? I tell you no, but rather division. For from now on, five members in one household will be divided, three against two, two against three. They will be divided, father against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. The last... Parts of that I kind of get. The first parts I don't. (laughs) If you're paying attention, you know what I'm saying. All jokes aside, uh, Jesus came to bring peace on earth, but before peace can truly come, every person must for themselves be united to Christ by faith. And that goes beyond even family ties, the closest of human relationships. So, Verse 54, so he was also saying to the multitudes, we're continuing on, when you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately immediately you say a shower's coming, and so it turns out. You see a south wind blowing, you say, it's going to be a hot day, and it turns out that way. You hypocrites, you know how to analyze the appearance of the earth and the sky, but why do you not analyze this present time and why do you not even on your own initiative judge what's right 
For while you are going with your opponent to appear before the magistrate, on your way they are making an effort to settle with him. In order that he may not drag you before the judge, and the judge turn you over to the constable, and the constable throw you into prison, for we are guilty. I added that. Verse 59, I say to you, you shall not get out of there until you have paid the very last cent. Then a little bit into chapter 13, and we'll get into this hopefully in 2022, Lord willing. Now on the same occasion, there were some, pre- some present who reported to him, this is another interruption, about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Jesus answered and said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this fate? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, were they worse culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Father, you have truly been gracious to us far more than we could ever deserve or ever ask or think. I pray that this passage will humble us, but I also pray that it will encourage us because we see in this good news, good news that Christ underwent a baptism on our behalf, that he died for our sins, he was buried, and was raised to new and everlasting life so that that old account could truly be settled of the blood and the grace of Jesus Christ and His finished work. As Terry said earlier, that is the atonement. That's what makes it possible for us to be right with you. And for that we are most grateful. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, since there's so much here, I want to focus on a couple of thoughts and a couple of points. I want to really build the sermon around verse 42. Look at verse 42. Who then is the faithful and sensible steward whom the master will put in charge of all his servants? And later on in verse 44, all his possessions. We are stewards. God has given us so much. How do we communicate to him and to others our gratitude? I've always loved that song. The voices of a million angels could not express my gratitude. All that I am or ever hope to be, I owe it all to thee. To God be the glory. We have been given so much, and this passage has opened up a lot of the grace that God has not only given but promised. We looked last week in 1232, Do not be afraid, little flock. Your Father has chosen to gladly give you the kingdom. We have the whole kingdom of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is what? The kingdom. God means what He says. We have all of His by inheritance in Christ given to us His children. Paul makes a statement in 1 Corinthians 3 where people were arguing about individuals and human attachment, and Paul says, whoa, 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 time out. He says, let no one boast in men. All things belong to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or, listen, the world, life, death, 
things present, things to come, all things belong to you. We're the richest people in the world in Christ. You belong to Christ. Christ belongs to God. So now by virtue of our relationship with God that we have been adopted, we have been given an inheritance, a brand new life. He is our shepherd, our father, our king. Those are all things that we've been talking about. Are you grateful? God knows our hearts and he knows whether or not we are grateful, but do others know you're grateful? Heard Andy, Andy Stanley say years ago something that, that, that I felt was important, and I don't always practice it, but gratitude inexpressed feels like ingratitude. Or you may be thankful, but if you don't express that gratitude, then do people know that you're thankful? Michael Creed sent me a video this week of his little boy walking for the first time. He took these little steps. And you could just see in Michael the joy and the elation and the happiness. And I thought back, I can still remember, I can't remember all of them, but I still remember Bennett's first steps down the hallway. He was expressing outwardly gratitude and love and excitement and he shared it with others God knows our hearts he knows whether or not we, we are grateful but do other people know about your gratitude through your life and your actions your words your deeds I'm reading a book that Mr. Howard gave me by Sinclair Ferguson and he opened up in one of those chapters Ferguson did all that Paul had been given in Christ, and it's ours as well. Listen to our treasures. Union with Christ. The forgiveness of sins. Relief from guilt and shame for past failures. Deliverance from the reign of sin and the power of darkness of life. Being in the family of God and calling God Abba, Father. Assurance and hope of eternal life. A new desire to become like Jesus, even if it means hardship and suffering in this world. On and on and on. Mercy and then grace upon grace upon grace. All God's gifts are wrapped up in Christ. I'm just trying to remind us as believers of all that we have been entrusted with, all that we have, so that, go back to verse 42, we will then be... Faithful and sensible stewards. Because here's the, here's the deal. Not only has God given us much, but he has also instructed us in how to use the gifts. Let's think about that. Not only has he blessed us, but he has also instructed us on how to use the blessings. And that's where... The rest of this message is headed. But, but let's make a comment first about verse 42. Faithful and sensible. Those are the two words that God commands that we be as stewards. Faithful and sensible. Now I tried to think of times in my life when I had been faithful but not sensible. <laughs> and I've tried to think of times in my life where I was sensible but not faithful. And I've struggled because I think they both go together. If you're faithful, then sensibility will follow. And if you're sensible, then you will be faithful. Do you get my drift? 
But we want to be both. You want to be both faithful and sensible. Now let's talk a little bit about what these words mean. The word faithful means trustworthy. Trustworthy. And it seems to be that the reward for a job well done is more work to do. (laughs) You already know that in life. You know, so-and-so did real well until they didn't, right? And then they lost their responsibility, so to speak. Now, I want to nail down a little bit more on this word sensible because to be sensible means to have understanding. It means to think through something. It means to direct the mind. It means to flesh something out in action. The word savvy (laughs) comes to mind because Howard gave me that word earlier this week. Howard says, you know what, I've been studying that word sensible. He's helping me a little bit because of his love for the language. He says, that word sensible can be interpreted as savvy. And I said, oh, that word is very familiar to me because my grandfather used that word a lot. Now let's go back to my early years. Let's say early 10, 12, 14, 15 My grandfather would have us on the farm and he would be trying to show us and teach us how to do something. And he would get a little bit frustrated at times because we weren't quite getting it or doing it right. He would explain it, he would show it, and then he would follow it up with, and I can still see his eyes, do you savvy? (laughs) You, You savvy? Which meant not only do you understand what I'm saying, but can you put it into practice? That's a pretty good word for us, isn't it? Do we understand what it's saying, and then are we savvy and sensible to be able to put it into practice? That's what wisdom is. That's what godliness is. It's knowing and doing His will in a practical way. So we want to be faithful and sensible. It's kind of like if somebody said about marriage... The match may be made in heaven, but it has to live here on planet earth. All right? It has to be faithful and sensible. Well, what does it mean to be a faithful, sensible steward? If we look at the instructions, there are four key words this morning that I want us to think about. These are broad, big themes that are throughout this text. A faithful sensible savvy steward is number one ready there's readiness number two there's responsibility responsibility number three there's reverence and then last of all there's repentance so if i want to be faithful and sensible i need to be ready responsible reverent and what was the last r repentant (laughs) there's my alliteration At its best, right? And maybe it's worst. Let's think about the first one, readiness. Now this one is clear and obvious because throughout this passage, he says this, be dressed in readiness. Keep your lamps alight. Be like men waiting on the master's return. Be like slaves who are on the alert. You too be ready. Those are repetitions within this passage. Be on your toes spiritually. Be on your toes spiritually. Expecting and looking for with eagerness and excitement your master's return. 
several images came to mind. One of the images, images that came to mind was, was as, a, as a baseball coach, how many times in the dugout does the coach have to yell out to the players, be ready, you be ready, because we're prone to apathy and lack of focus and sluggishness. Be ready on your toes. Know in advance what you're going to do with the ball before it gets to you, because if you wait till that moment, it's too late. Be ready. Be on your toes. Motel 6 comes to mind. We'll leave the light on for you. <laughs> what a wonderful campaign. Expectancy. You order a pizza. You know the delivery man's coming. He's going he's gonna to knock at your door. If you're hungry, you're listening. How many times does the New Testament and the whole Bible call us to alertness and readiness? Let's think through this so that we can be faithful and savvy. Here's one thought we must not think. You must not think my master is a long time coming. That's the thought you must not have because that will lead to apathy and irresponsibility. So again, this to me is a mindset and it's an attitude of eagerness and desire. How do we keep our lights aflame? How do we keep our clothes ready? Well, the passage Terry reads very helpful. Praying, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Scripture, stay in his word, his mindset. Service, love, and always being dressed and ready for the return of Christ. Christ, you and I are called to define life backwards and live life forwards. In other words, start with the end in mind, where we're going, back up, and then daily be ready and make the choices and decisions that will lead to that good end. Living with awareness that He will return. This transforms our mindset, opens our eyes, aids us in holiness and ministry, and we receive from God His blessing of the opportunities that are out there. I don't know how you are, but I miss so many opportunities because I'm not alert, I'm not ready. Here comes the ball, but I wasn't ready. It goes right by me. The other part of alertness is, is if you're not ready, it's very dangerous. One reason we say be ready is not only to not miss the opportunities, but you don't want to get hurt. Well, the Word tells us, 1 Peter 3.15, Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that's in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Be ready for those opportunities to share. And here's the other side of that. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. If I'm not ready, I will be tempted to misuse my gifts and talents for sinful, selfish reasons. And I will miss opportunities to share the love of God and the gospel with others. Be ready. I had breakfast a couple of mornings ago with Jamie Wynn. Do y'all remember Jamie Wynn? Some of you do. He and I met at Villarica at the Waffle House just to catch up 
we do that periodically. And I said, Jamie, how are things at your church, First Baptist Douglasville, where he's on staff? He said, we just had a revival. There are people still having revivals. <laughs> and we joked and laughed about that. But he said, you know what? One night, one of our speakers shared an amazing story. And the speaker sharing the story had the opportunity to share the gospel with Michael Jordan one-on-one. And Jamie says, it was amazing, this story. This man, who some of you would know is pretty well-known Southern Baptist, he says, this man had prayed for 10 years, 10 years that he would have the opportunity to share the gospel with Michael Jordan. Well, lo and behold, a friend of his asked him to play at a pretty nice golf course north of Atlanta. And while they were playing, Michael Jordan's entourage pulls up. Jordan and his group's playing behind this man. At the clubhouse, after everything's over, here's his opportunity. He's been praying for 10 years for this. And I'm sitting at the edge of my seat, you know, with my hash browns right there, and I'm thinking, what happens next, you know? He has a one-on-one -on -one conversation with Michael. Very brief, very professional. But he basically says, I said, what, what did he say, James? He says, listen to what he says. He, and, and, and this guy was professional. Jordan was professional about it. He says, Michael, I prayed for a long time. He says, I want to share this with you. And he gave him a track, and he wanted him to, he, Michael says, I will read the track. But the point he made to Michael was, what does it profit? He said this, what does it profit a man to have six world championship rings and lose his soul? What does it profit a man to have six rings and lose his soul? I was like, wow. That's a man who was ready. Not only was he ready, but he was praying to be ready. God promises us that if we will pray, if we will be ready, he will give us opportunities. I had heard early in my ministry that, hey, you, you want to preach? He's, prepare some sermons and God will prepare you a place to preach. Something like that for you and I as believers. I've got to move on. Readiness. The second one's responsibility. This to me moves beyond the mindset to the actions. Beyond being to doing. Look at what happens in verse... This is where things begin to get severe. Because in verse 45, the, the servant begins to have a sinful thought, a, a selfish thought. It's, in fact, he begins to live kind of like a practical atheist. What does he say in his heart? Ah, my master's not coming. My master is delaying. And then he begins to slide down a slippery slope into irresponsible and reckless behavior because he lacks eagerness toward God, it leads to him being vulnerable to misuse his gifts, responsibilities, and opportunities. So what does he do? Well, instead of caring for the people under him, what does he do? He starts to beat the slaves. Now, let's imagine that we're watching a movie where this guy begins to do these things. And these are people that were in charge of his care. He was responsible to love them and serve them, not, not tyrannize them, not abuse them, not become 
violent. If we were watching this, we would say, Wait, what are you thinking? You're being very irresponsible here. This is, this is dangerous. You're about to get arrested. You're about to get in big trouble. You're about to get fired. You're about to get divorced. You're about to... I mean, look at what he does. Then he starts eating and drinking all the food. This is selfishness. And then he gets drunk, which is completely reckless and irresponsible. So it's the opposite of responsibility. And actually it becomes hedonistic and selfish. It's wasteful and wicked for him to do this. It's harmful to himself and to others. He's misusing and abusing his authority, his position, and the gifts and resources of the master. And so then the master shows up. Now I could tell you stories about teenagers I've known who have thought that their parents were going to be a long time coming back home and they throw a huge party and they trash the place. And they wrecked the place. But guess what happens? The parents show up a day or two earlier than they expected. You know the drill. And you and I may say to ourselves, well, I would never do what he does in verse 45, start beating people up and just taking it all in and just wasting it. I would never do that. But someone say, you know, you know what you and I are prone to do with our gifts and talents and resources? We, we tend to worship our work, work at our play, and play at our worship. Are we being responsible stewards of what God has entrusted to us? Hey, verse 47 helps me. Here's what verse 47... Verse 47 is kind of a mini outline on how we can be responsible with the gifts and talents we've been given. Let's walk real slowly through this one. The slave who knew his master's will and didn't get ready and he didn't act. Well, here, here's what we, how you and I should read this. To be responsible, I need to know his will. I need to get ready to do his will. And then I need to act on his will. Knowing his will, that's basically going to the Bible and reading passages like 1 Thessalonians 5, the Colossians 3 passage, God has instructed us in what we are to do with our gifts and talents and resources, which are not actually ours, but whose? They are His. They are His. My life is not my own. I was bought with a price. Know His will. Then get ready to do it. That's preparation. And then act on it. That's obedience. Knowing, preparing, and doing. Knowing, preparing, or doing. Those are the three key factors for sensible faithfulness. So let's consider the severity of the warning, how seriously the master takes the responsibility of the steward, and notice that the punishment will be severe for those who have been irresponsible and wasteful. But I want to stop and ask three questions that we can all ask of ourselves. Am I being a responsible steward? And they go like this. Actually, there are four questions. Number one, are you where you are supposed to be? Are you where you are supposed to be? So many times in my life, if I'd only been where I was supposed to be. Right? Number two, are you doing what you're supposed to be doing? 
Are you doing what you're supposed to be doing? Number three, where will you be when you get where you're going? Where will you be when you get where you're going? Then number four, will you die doing what God loves? Will you die doing what God loves? We've said about people before, man, he died doing what he loves. I could give you some real practical illustrations of that from people in our own church. But boy, when you also die doing what God loves, doing what God loves, then you know you're being a responsible and faithful steward. Well, I've obviously bit off more than I can chew this morning, and we're going to close. So maybe after the first of the year, you're going to hear some of this again. Who is the faithful, sensible steward? Well, it's one who's ready. It's one who's responsible. It's also one who's reverent and one who is repentant. Repentant. But I'm going to have to give us some good news here because if you're like me, you can think of times in your life where you were very irresponsible and you can think of times in your life where you were not ready. What are we to do about those times? Did you notice in the text that Jesus was in attention about a baptism that he was going to undergo? Did you notice in the text that there was a fire that he was going to give and bring judgment, severity. The Bible says, "Behold the severity of the law, but, it, but of the word of God, of God Himself." But before it says that, it also says, "Behold His kindness." Behold the kindness and the severity of God. And I look forward to working out all this further. But let me just say that if you're concerned about receiving punishment and lashes and fire from God's judgment, God, through this text, is driving us to a safe place, a place of forgiveness, a place of grace, and that's in Christ. Because what you're going to find in Jesus is the fire had already burned upon him at the cross where he took upon himself the wrath of God to our sins. What you're going to find is that Jesus took the beatings and the lashings that you and I deserve that are warned about in this text? The reproaches of those who reproached thee fell upon me. Christ says that. Listen, by his stripes we are healed. The faithful and sensible steward repents because he recognizes that that's the judgment that I deserve but God loved me and sent His Son. And the good news there is, there is no fear in judgment. Perfect love casts out all fear. And your sins and iniquities, I'll remember what? No more. Boy, the severity and the warnings drive me to the place, the only safe place to run, and that's where the fire has already burned. And that's why... We celebrate Christmas. God came down to save irresponsible, unprepared stewards to forgive them and to change them so that we then can become to be responsible, prepared, reverent, and penitent.
That's the good news of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together this morning. Thank you for your word, but ultimately thank you for the good news of Christ to himself. He was the ultimate and perfect good and faithful steward. In every way, he perfectly demonstrated and expressed as the son who would save us, a readiness to do your will, a responsibility to finish the work. And Lord, he did that on our behalf. Thank you for the amazing grace of Christ our Savior. In his name we pray. Amen. Stand and sing our hymn of invitation. When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, hey, count your blessings. Amen. for being with us today. Uh, our greatest blessing is the forgiveness that God gives to us in Christ. Amen. After preaching this sermon, that kind of t- seems to be the, the atonement. God for us in Christ is the, is the greatest blessing. That's the blessing that opens up all the others, right? 
So I think one of the blessings we have is that we have Ashlyn Julie Benson for the first time at Glenlock Baptist Church. Is that right, Miss Beth? All right, let's present her a Bible. This is the little one that I think you may have heard with us this morning. Mr. David, will you take that back there? So let's welcome her to Glenlock for the first time. What a beautiful, what a beautiful child. Amen. It's a blessing to have Dan and Donna Dockery with us. They are getting ready for uh, Operation Christmas Child shoe boxes over the next week. Busy week at our association. So we're grateful not only to give, but those who help package and ship those. Dan and Donna, good to see y'all. And I think that's Judy Smith back there. Miss Judy, we love you. And we're so glad we're, that you're here. And glad to see you back. And we will be praying for you uh, as you continue to, to miss, I'm sure, Sammy. So... Thank y'all. Sunday school's next. Catherine, would you close this, please? Let's close this thing and give thanks together. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because He's given Jesus Christ, His Son. Give have a fantastic week and good Thanksgiving. Yes, ma'am.